Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Fidelity. I'm Alyssa Cora, Multimedia Content Editor at IBD, and joining me today is my co-host, Justin Nielsen, IBD Market Research Director. And our special guest today is Bill Studebaker. He's President and Chief Investment Officer at Robo Global. On today's show, we're going to take a quick look at the current market action. Then we're going to do a deep dive into the exciting trends in the robotics and artificial intelligence space and take a look at a couple of stocks and ETFs. But first, Justin, break down the market action for us because today there was a, a pretty significant development, I think. Yeah. Now I'm going to keep this quick because I really want to hear so much from Bill Studebaker. But yes, yes what we were seeing earlier this week was we had a little pullback in the indexes. Uh, S&P 500, look, it was being held, uh, you know, to its 10-day moving average line. So you look at the index, not much to see there. The NASDAQ composite, that bounced support at its 21-day moving average line today. So again, the index doesn't show that much weakness. What was happening underneath the surface, though, a lot of growth names were getting hit, and that was making it very challenging. If you didn't have a lot of profits in your stocks, uh, you were probably getting some sell signals on your, on your stocks and maybe having to unwind some of those positions. But if you had some uh, bigger profits, it was a little bit easier to hold uh, now that we've got this bounce back. The one issue that we've been seeing is on the good side, this didn't really happen in very heavy volume. You know, we don't have much distribution uh, days hitting either the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ. Now that the NASDAQ is back near new highs, the S&P 500 has been right there at the new high level. Um, Russell 2000, that's been kind of just darting around its 50-day moving average line for a while, a little bit weaker there. Um, but today, it was showing a lot of strength uh, and you know, get, getting back to that level. So uh, a, a nice reversal that we saw today. Uh, now the question is, will it hold? Will this rotation continue? Um, and you know, where, where do we go from here? But right now, we're still in that confirmed uptrend and uh, looking for stocks and, you know, again, diversifying quite a bit because we're seeing a lot of strength in a lot of different areas. It's not just tech in this case. Um, we've got the reopening plays, we've got some of the cyclicals, and today we certainly saw a lot of strength in chips, and we'll get more into that with uh, Bill Studebaker, our guest. Yes. So, Bill, let's bring you in here. When you take a look at the performance for the Robo Global Fund family of ETFs, huge gains in 2020. A little bit of a break right now, consolidating those gains, but a huge move in 2020. And it sounds like there's a lot of room left when it comes to the, the growth of these trends playing out. Oh, well, exactly right, Alyssa. When we launched uh, Robo eight years ago, we had high conviction and belief that we are on the cusp of the ubiquitous automation. But, you know, fast forward, you know, eight years later, and we couldn't be more convicted. I mean, there is an undeniable inflection point going on because of performance capabilities of computing and the cost curve that's bringing to the forefront an array of use cases um, that is, is pretty inspiring. And so as we look around, there is growth coming, you know, everywhere. I mean, look at the, the wealth creation that's happened in the last, you know, 18 months. It's pretty astounding, particularly as it's coming out, out of technology. And when you look at robotics and AI, what's exciting about these technologies is that they're not niche technologies, rather they're foundational technologies that are being applied to all industries and all markets. And the, if you look at the penetration rates across virtually you know, every subsector of the economy, we're at low single digit penetration rates. So 
this is going to go on for years, if not decades. So then talk to us a little bit more specifically about Robo Global and what you guys are doing with the ETFs. You have a couple of different ones looking at different areas within this space. So we have uh, three different indices that uh, I'd love to talk to you about. Um, our first kind of our legacy product is, is Robo, which is our, our robotics and automation index we launched eight years ago. Uh, and that seeks to play across the value chain of not just the technologies, but the application. So uh, for technologies is what makes an autonomous system work. It's the computing, the AI, the processing, sensing, and the actuation and the integration. And the use cases of where is robotics being deployed? It's being deployed into, into healthcare, into ag, into food, security and surveillance, uh, warehouse automation, just to name a few. Um, we then, during our research of, of getting pretty inspired by how this was playing out, uh, we then, you know, kind of were looking around what sectors is really going to take off, and that brought us to to healthcare. And with HTech, HTech is sort of a play on the future of healthcare. A lot of people, when they invest in healthcare, they tend to invest kind of through the rearview mirror into the therapies and, and into the, some of the services and so forth. And the pharma companies love that we all can, um, you know, contract a or have a chronic illness. So they'll come out and try to give some remedy that may, you know, possibly delay that, uh, but not necessarily prevent it. Okay. As we looked at healthcare, we got really interested because the future of healthcare has to change. We live in a world that's actually sick care. We wanted to look at the world of prediction, prevention, individualizing medicine, which is the foundation around what healthcare or HTAC is built on. So we had to go out similar to Robo and create our own proprietary classification system to identify the future of healthcare, which is genomics, which is lab process automation, which is uh, prediction, preventive medicine, regenerative medicine, genomics, medical instruments, to name a few. So that covers that sort of ecosystem. And then finally, we looked at our, our, um, our next sort of challenge was into understanding AI. And so we launched an index uh, with the ETF ticker ThinkThNQ that captures uh, the technologies and infrastructure providers around there. So um, again, we sort of look at the technologies and the applications of where is AI being uh, um, applied and it's a pure play on, uh, on AI. And importantly, when we go into putting the companies that go into the index, there is a tremendous amount of research that goes into this. Um, the way we essentially um, capture the companies is that we screen for companies that have high revenue purity. That's really important to us. It's about 50% of our, of our factor weighting or attribution for selecting a company. We have a proprietary ranking system that ranks the companies um, quarterly. Um, so we're looking at, at uh, revenue purity as being 50% of the mix. And the other 50% is trying to evaluate the companies on the basis of their market share leader, leadership, their technology leadership, and where they're investing. Because presumably the investing piece is very important and hard to always you know, kind of figure out. But the important thing here is those are companies that are liking to improve margins because they're focusing on those activities. And importantly as well, they're likely to drive a higher revenue mix as that part of the business accelerates. So um, we have a, a pretty high touch process that goes you know, into selecting the companies. Okay, so uh, first of all, with your HTEC, I wanna make sure that people realize that Arusha did a pretty deep dive with your colleague, Nina, on a November 12th, 2020 episode 
of the podcast investing with IBD. So uh, we're we're not going to necessarily touch on a lot of those things because it's already been covered. So we can consider this kind of segment two. um, But I highly recommend people check that out. Yeah, investor.com slash podcast. Absolutely. And November 12th, 2020 was the episode. Now, um, you've got three different things, but you know, you're talking about the use of artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry, um, robotics and automation. I mean, you know, we had ISRG have, you know, just blowout earnings and a, a huge move today uh, in, in robotics, but that's also in healthcare. How much overlap do you have between all three of these indexes? And how do you decide, okay, this this one goes here and not here? Well, there's actually very low uh, overlap. Importantly, we have to fit into the index or any of our indices that have to fit within one of our uh, our subcategories in terms of, of, uh, of the sectors. So it has to fit there. Again, has to have high revenue purity. And then we're looking for companies that are established in terms of having market share leadership and technology leadership. So we're not really throwing paint against the wall here. Um, there's a lot of active research that goes into, into selecting those companies. So um, then we pass it on to our, our calculation agent that looks at more passive filters for um, including that into, into the index. So that's essentially how we do it. Uh, but the overlap between all the companies is pretty low. Um, when you look at healthcare, obviously that's a pure play only on, um, on healthcare. So the, the, the crossover with, uh, with robo is only about 12%. Uh, and with uh, our Think Index, Robo to our Think Index is about 15%. So the overlap is, is rather low. And, and, and importantly, the overlap with traditional indices is exceptionally low. If you were to take Robo, for example, and compare it to um, most traditional indices, uh, you would see that you know, the, the overlap is in the low single digit percentages and depends on, on the index you're, you're looking at. Uh, for Think, it's a little bit higher because it's a little bit larger cap names. But generally speaking, if you were to compare that to a lot of traditional um, technology indices, it would be in the, in the low teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, aspect of revenue purity is really important because I think that's the challenge with a number of thematic ETFs that are on the cutting edge of new trends. So do you think that that's what makes RoboGlobal stand out in the marketplace? Well, I think the revenue purity is definitely important, but it's also important to capture the companies um, whose business may be undervalued, underappreciated, where that mix of the business may not be as big now, but it's growing exceptionally fast. And we have a lot of examples of companies where the, the, uh, the revenue period at the time might have been a little on the lower side, but the growth was pretty sensational. And you've seen that you know, show up in terms of you know, this, the performance of the companies because what often happens then is you get multiple expansion on top of significantly higher earnings and revenue growth. So those typically make big companies. Um, well, if we were to study the attribution of our, of our performance, um, looking back historically, this is just for robo, I don't have the data for the other two yet. But if you were to look at um, uh, what might be more pure play companies versus non pure play, I think we have a modestly higher skew on performance attribution from the non pure plays. Mm-hmm. Um, again, for that reason where they were sort of underappreciated valued by Wall Street. And importantly here, Alyssa is a lot of these companies are very um, underfall by Wall Street. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a hard coded number to give you, but 
I would say 30, 40% of, of the companies, you know, would not be um, followed by, or only 30 or 40% would be followed by a lot of the big warehouse companies. And because a lot of these companies are based, you know, globally, um, you know, there is a very inefficient coverage and that serves, you know, us well. So uh, we need to take a break right now, but when we come back, we're going to be talking with Bill about some of these emerging trends that are happening in artificial intelligence and robotics and kind of get into uh, some of these uh, different sectors uh, that you're seeing the strength in and where this could go in the future. So that's coming up right after this break. Fidelity Investments is hiring now. If you have a Series 7 financial license, you'll find opportunities for both remote roles and regional center careers across the country. At Fidelity, we provide opportunities to help you change lives every day while making sure you have benefits that make an impact in your own life. Flexible work environments, training and resources to help you grow, all adapting with you throughout your career because your workplace should work for you too. Visit FidelityCareers.com to explore jobs today. Fidelity is an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Fidelity. I'm Justin Nielsen, along with my co-host, Ali Quorum, and our special guest, Bill Studebaker from RoboGlobal. Now, let's go ahead and get into a deeper dive here into the robotics trends. And, you know, one of the big things that you were mentioning is that, you know, people really have to kind of get their minds wrapped around a very different way of thinking uh, from linear to exponential. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Well, it's a pretty profound um, shift that we're seeing. And to be successful, I think you have to change your mindset. I mean, we as, as human beings, uh, as investors or as consumers um, and business managers understand linear thinking. So if I take 10 linear steps, where am I going to be? I mean, take 10 steps, three feet apart, and we're basically 30 feet away. We can understand that. Uh, but if I'm going to take 10 exponential steps, that's less intuitive and more difficult, right? Right. 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 120, 256. That's exactly what's happening right now. And so um, the companies that are successful now are being able to understand this and, and manage it, their business in a, in a way that's much more profound than it ever has because there's a mindset now towards you know link, looking for larger variances when they're, when they're looking at their planning and investing and things like that. And companies aren't just trying to hit the base hit you know, they're really going for looking for grand slams and companies like Bezos has done this, you know, no one's done it better than Bezos. I mean, Bezos is probably architect the best uh, venture capital fund uh, in the history of humanity with his ability to, to make the kinds of bets that he, he does. He looks at things outside the box. And I think we as human beings and as investors, managers, et cetera, need to embrace that way of thinking. So for those who are a little uh, bit more new when it comes to all of these themes in robotics and artificial intelligence, can you lay out what's out there? Because I think there really is a lot, you know, in segment one, we only scratched the surface, but there's a lot going on. Well, there's uh, the, the trends are everywhere. And all three of our strategies, uh, Robo, HTech, and Think, uh, capture the benefits of what's what's coming. I mean, we've got factory automation that's booming. We've got China is remaining the world's top automation you know, story. We've got uh, logistics to warehouses. The growth is going to continue to soar. Less than 5% of, of uh, automation, or I'm sorry, factories or warehouses 
uh, in North America are we would consider highly automated. So the runway is big. You've got big data and AI that's everywhere. It's enabling digital transformation. You've got e-commerce and the immersive experience that it's going to begin. I mean, as consumers, it's a lot easier to go into a store and try on a pair of pants and you know how they fit and how they feel. Um, and you may be more reluctant to do that or to buy something online unless you have an immersive experience. And, you know, that's coming. You've got early detection in healthcare that's emerging. You know, you've got, um, um, you, know, you know, prediction and prevention, you know, in healthcare everywhere. And that's going to drive tremendous, you know, innovation. So, um, there's almost too much to talk about, but happy to dig into anything that you uh, uh, wish to talk about. Well, which one do you think is seeing the most meaningful rollout here today? What's what's the closest to really being a, a widespread trend? You know, you said uh, factories only five percent in North America highly automated. Is that an area that you're seeing uh, a really companies being swift to act to get more automation there or what's well, yeah, that's, kind of the uh, near term focus? Factory automation is going to continue to boom. I mean, you get the brutal combination of, of the, the downturn in capital spending in 2019, followed by the shock waves of the pandemic, you know, hit automotive and electronics. That was the two biggest sort of uh, industries that rely on robotics and on automation. But demand is bottomed in China and um, it's clearly stabilized in the US and Europe. And you know we expect to see the installed base of robots exceed 3.2 million by the end of of, uh, of this year. Now that may not sound like a lot because it's not a lot. You know we have, that's a tiny fraction in the world manufacturing employment base, which is 360 million. So um, this is going to continue to go on for years, if not you know decades. If you look at that, um, uh, you know. Places in, in China right now has uh, roughly 1.9 robots per 100 people. So that's you know roughly half the density that is in in places like Japan uh, and in or even less than um, in in in, uh, in Korea and Singapore. So there's a big outlook there. Uh, we touched a little bit on logistics, warehouse automation. You know the pandemic has transformed the supply chain. Uh, as well as the expectation and demand of, of buyers of logistics services. So the disruption of the consumer supply chains is driving change. And we expect to see a new surge in warehousing demand, especially for things like temperature control, that's it's going to begin to you know, take off. And, and again, less than 5% of all warehouses are considered heavily automated. So this is going to go on for years, if not decades. So um, we feel pretty uh, optimistic about those two trends. Well, and I guess that's another point here to your exponential thinking. You know, one of the hard parts that people have wrapping their heads around, you know, compounding is how how different that curve looks at the end, you know, a, a few years out as opposed to at the beginning. And so with a lot of these, you're you're talking about years out for this. So what is your timeline as you're looking at these companies uh, to put into your index? Uh, how far out are you looking for some of these to really uh, produce for you and and maybe you know become fruitful. Well, I mean, realistically, we're looking for them to be um, producing companies the second we put them in. I mean, we're not speculating on technologies. For example, maybe we're we're evaluating a, a surgical robotic company that 
hasn't even passed, you know, FDA level two or three certification, right? So, um, you know, we're not going to put a company in our index until, you know, they have a certification or until they have a proven commercializable, you know, product. And even so, we may even wait a little bit to find out that there's some commercialization uh, going out with the company. And there's a lot of great companies that may have a great technology, but they don't have a very good management team or any right. proven market uh, experience. So um, we may, you know, hesitate to pay some attention to that, you know, right away. But uh, again, I think it's important to look out, you know, years, years ahead. And, um, you know, you look at, you brought up the case of, of a, uh, intuitive surgical put up phenomenal numbers, you know, today, and um, you know, they only have 6,000 roughly speaking um, uh, robotic installations out there globally. Mm -hmm. And that's now a $100 billion market cap. This company was started uh, back in the late nineties called 1998. I remember reading research reports, uh, you know, months back that were in the early 2000s and people were concerned about the technology, didn't know if it could scale, they didn't know about the consumables, how that would play out, they didn't know about doctor, you know, acceptance rates and what the penetration rates are. Well, you know, fast forward um, $98 billion later, uh, and that's the answer. And you did have to be a little patient, I guess you had to wait. Uh, you know, 15, 20 years to uh, put up that kind of exponential return, but you did. And there's a lot of great companies, you know, out there that, um, you know, are, are are playing in robotics and AI. Well, and to be clear, you really didn't have to wait for ISRG, the stock, to necessarily give you that performance. I mean, that's that was a, a, a strong performer uh, a decade ago. So sure, sure. Uh, a lot of these, you know, there is that forward looking of what potential there is. And, you know, I guess that's what you're trying to capture in your index. Exactly, exactly. So we, we, again, we, we, I think it's important when you look at this trend that this is not a play this for the quarter or the year. Um, this, this should be viewed as a, a, a solid three to five year, you know, sort of return, um, you know, outlook. We have um, some people that, that tend to look at how they manage money. They'll look at a liquidity bucket, a, uh, a legacy bucket and longevity. And typically people that, you know, um, care about liquidity have a different sort of risk managed view. Uh, conversely, you know, people that are in sort of managing money for a legacy experience and longevity uh, will, will tend to, to consider looking at thematic strategies. And I think those complement those portfolios well because you have the time horizon. And I think if you're looking out, you know, three, five, 10 years and, and looking back at robotics and AI, it's going to feel a lot, in, in my judgment, a lot like the internet does. I mean, everyone recognize, you know, now recognize what the internet does. I mean, the internet changed how we socialize, how we can consume media, part about search e-commerce. Great, amazing, okay? That's it, robots and AI are about to change, you know, all industries and all markets. Uh, it was interesting, you know, a couple of years back, um, Bill Gates had talked about robotics being more ubiquitous at computers and more transforming the internet, uh, roughly, you know, six months ago, you had Sundar Puchai coming on saying that AI is the most important technology of our lifetime. And so, you know, these are technologies that are not in everyone's portfolio, but looking out and then looking back, I think people are going to wish they had the exposure there. And on that point, I mean, you mentioned Jeff Bezos being one of those uh, exponential thinkers. 
the likes of Amazon, Microsoft, these big tech companies, what do you think investors can really take from what they are doing in this space in terms of acquisition and activity and those sorts of developments? Well, I, I think that what they're taking away is that there is, you know, unlimited growth potential out there. I mean, in thinking back, you know, 18, 24 months ago, we were talking about no growth, low growth, you know, forever. The pandemic came, sort of uh, changed the, the short-term dynamic. But the only way for us to get out of this, this pandemic and to sort out our, our 20 plus trillion dollar debt situation is through growth. And robotics and AI, are, I think, are the tools that, that we need to help do that and to help reboot, you know, productivity and growth, the likes of which very few people can want to think about. And, uh, and I think the, the big successful CEOs understand the importance of, of where we're going and the outlook and the change that we're going to see in the next 10 years is going to outpace anything and everything we've seen up to this point. So you know, from an investor standpoint, I think you need to stay here, you need to be invested and, uh, and watch how this plays out. So we kind of teased this at the beginning, uh, a little bit about this chip shortage and, you know, chips are so important for so many elements here. How is this chip shortage that, you know, we're seeing in everything from automotive to, uh, you know, I mean, just so many things, how is that affecting uh, a slowdown in robotics or AI, or is it really not affecting things? Uh, what are you seeing there? Yeah, I would say broadly speaking, the, the semi shortages are going to continue through this year and early next year. Um, lead times in some areas are as long as 52 weeks. Uh, but unlike other semi-cycles, you know, this is less cyclical and less seasonal and much, much, much more secular driven. We've got mega trends that are happening all at once. You've got the massive cloud deployment. You've got the building of the AI systems. You've got the 5G upgrade cycle. You've got autos going through electrification and industrial machinery, machinery going through the next, you know, generation cycle. So, you know, I, I think this is all coming at once and um, you need to be exposed here. And um, the, uh, the semi um, ETF index is I think up 15 or 18% year to date kind of reflecting this uh, and you need to be exposed to that. We own, you know, a lot of the, the leaders in, you know, AI and data centers, you know, like NVIDIA, AMD and ASML, but also lesser known companies are going to benefit like MediaTek and Global Unichip and, and Brooks Automation and, and, and Teradyne and, and Amberella. We can talk about, you know, maybe a couple of those names um, at a later point. But I, I think this is an important point. Think has about 14% exposure in semis. And for robo, it's about 10%. So you're getting this exposure without having to own the individual company and having potentially any sort of idiosyncratic risk. Well, Bill, I think that's the perfect segue to our final segment. We're going to start digging into some of these individual companies and, and take a closer look. That's right after the break. Fidelity Investments is hiring licensed financial professionals now. Reach your career goals with the support of a financial lender impacting customers and employees' lives for over 70 years. We're hiring now with remote roles nationally. So if you thrive on helping others, if you're self-motivated, find career growth at Fidelity. Find stability you can count on. Find the flexibility you want and the opportunities you need. Find your Fidelity. Visit series7.fidelitycareers.com. Fidelity is an equal opportunity employer. 
Welcome back to Investing with the IBD, sponsored by Fidelity and with Justin Nielsen and Bill Studebaker. So where we left off, we were talking about the chip shortages and how that plays into the AI and robotics themes. You mentioned Amberella as an interesting name to maybe take a little bit of a closer look at. So can you talk to us about what, what they're doing and why that stands out to you right now? Yeah, Amberella definitely should be on your radar as a, a kind of a, um, a Thomas vehicle play and as a go-to AI stock. They recently posted, or last quarter, a, a beaten race reflecting a, a kind of a continued um, growth of computer vision and strength in consumer platforms, which include consumer surveillance and a rebound in, in automotive production. And we see Amberella emerging as a growth stock in, in the market that's been paying a premium for semiconductor growth, especially around new categories that include um, AI computer vision. And the company is migrating from being historically a, a video processing based uh, solution to uh, an AI computer vision chip. And the transition has been building on for a couple of years. So the company's revenues that come from computer vision surpassed 10% for the first time. And as we talked about earlier, I mean, that's kind of what gets people uh, focus is when one part of their business begins to accelerate. This is exactly what's happening when, when it comes to, to computer vision. And uh, the company has now uh, quantified the automotive funnel of cumulative revenue now is in excess of $600 million by 2026. So that implies a 200% growth in autos with potential upside to those numbers. So as this continues to happen, I would imagine that Amberella is going to be um, in a lot of people's M&A pipeline, similar to how Mobileye was bought uh, by uh, Intel. I think that this is very likely a emerging um, M&A candidate as we go forward. Well, and that's something that you were kind of talking about at the outset, that there is in this space a lot of that M&A activity. And, you know, What's so interesting about Amberella is, as, as you said, there's this whole transition. And you know, whenever we've seen companies in the past make these transitions to something uh, potentially more profitable, in this case, from your video to now it's computer vision, um, I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. And uh, wh what is it about Amberella that I guess is, you know, enable them to make that transition? Or um, you know, are there other, you know, I guess, names in this space that are kind of Again, making these transitions from something that maybe not AI or robotics oriented to something that is definitely in that space. Well, speaking of, of Umbrella, they made this transition a few years ago. They used to be heavily tethered towards the, the GoPro with over right. 30% of revenue. Mm -hmm. It came from GoPro, GoPro uh, unit uh, levels came off considerably. That had a big impact on Umbrella stock, which went from a, a high of 130 back down to somewhere in the $30, $40 area. And now it's you know probably up at around $120. But that had a big impact then uh, very quietly about um, three years ago, they bought an autonomous driving technology um, in, based in Italy uh, for roughly around $40 million. And this was before GM bought Cruise for $800 million. 
um, or right before. And obviously we know that the valuation of crews is, is somewhere in the, the 12 to $15 billion level. So uh, when we look at, at uh, Amberella, you know, this is a company that's been around for a few years and the transitions, I think Wall Street loves to see when, when the green lights go on right away, but it does take time to uh, develop a, a chip in their case, begin to test it and to be able to um, you know, get the the uh, tier one auto suppliers um, to to uh, commercialize with it, and so we're beginning to see that now. They've again have six hundred million dollars in automotive business wins. This did not happen overnight. It's taken the better part of a couple of years, um, and and that speaks to another acquisition that just happened in our index. If Fleer was bought by by Teledyne in the, in the beginning of the year, and what's interesting about that is Fleer has been around for I believe. 42 years, okay? And Teledyne just bought them. Teledyne provides instrument, digital imaging and engineered systems mostly for aero and defense while FLIR develops thermal imaging, um, measurement and diagnostic systems and put the two together and this is gonna become a sensing powerhouse business. And you know, the question is, so why didn't Teledyne buy it you know, earlier? I'm not exactly sure. Um, the stock was cheaper before, but certainly, you know, putting the two together, they've got a unique ability to um, um, supply autonomous and unmanned systems, and they serve different markets uh, globally and both land and sea. So this is kind of a, uh, a, uh, a marriage made in heaven, as is the other acquisition that you and many of your viewers are familiar with, where Microsoft just acquired Nuance. And Nuance is actually in all three of our innovation indices due to their leadership in intelligence systems powered by AI, and such as speech acquisition and natural language processing. Uh, and they've been around, believe it or not, for probably 25 or 30 years. Uh, the company has been at the forefront of driving digital innovation with AI technologies. They've got 2,300 patents and Nuance is the undisputed leader in uh, healthcare AI. So this was a great uh, opportunity for uh, Microsoft to uh, come in and accelerate their push into what they see as a $3 trillion you know, healthcare opportunity. So the acquisitions are, are everywhere. Um, since we launched Robo uh, eight years ago, roughly a third of our index has been acquired or attempted to be acquired. Last year in, in Robo, we had, I believe, seven acquisitions in our HTEC and our Think indices. We both had, you know, I think HTEC had five and Think had a few less, maybe three or maybe five. I forgot uh, offhand, but M&A is, is all over the place in our indices. Well, and Nuance was... Uh, you know, had quite a number of acquisitions that it was doing before it got acquired itself. I mean, there were all these little companies that was uh, gobbling up over the last decade, uh, you know, at, at, at least. And uh, again, it's, it's turned into a powerhouse because of a lot of that technology. So is it a lot of times more profitable for these uh, bigger companies to just get, get that innovation from someone else rather than develop it in-house? Well, I think that's exactly what you're saying, but I think the companies, the, the bigger companies, you know, hesitate to jump in until the mix is big enough that it, they can move the needle for them. I mean, this was the second biggest acquisition that uh, Microsoft has ever done. They, their, their last acquisition that was, was that big was obviously LinkedIn. But I, I think that this is going to, you know, tip the scales um, that people need these technologies to enable their business. 
And uh, I think companies you know, recognize that now and that building and growing is a lot more important than just you know, paying shareholders uh, dividends and buying back stock. And uh, there's a lot of execution risk that goes into these deals. But, you know, in, in both of these cases, uh, just recently, Teledyne, it was a, and, and Flair was a, a very uh, easy match to put together. And I think it, it is with also uh, with Microsoft and Nuance. Um, Microsoft, you know, understands the opportunity in healthcare and they bought, you know, one of the biggest AI powerhouses in healthcare. So, um, well, again, we think that the, the, the race is going to be on for more and more acquisitions. And at IBD, we love, of course, looking at individual stocks and we're, we're trying to find the best of the best, looking really in depth at that technical analysis. And, and perhaps it is for shorter, you know, holding periods, but with the ETFs, I mean, these indexes that you have, there's a really deep dive and a lot of research that goes into what what you guys are doing. So can you talk about um, being able to ha- capture this theme in the portfolio with, with that ETF wrapper? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's what I think helps, you know, separate us is the team that we have. I mean, not only I think we're fortunate to have identified some of these themes early on, but it was it was very important to then uh, assemble a team of uh, not just financial, but industry experts. We have seven PhDs in our team that give us an amazing lens to kind of how to think about the technologies and, and where uh, the growth is happening. I mean, these are, are, are individuals that are um, amazing thought leaders, uh, that are entrepreneurs, that are, are developers. And so they sit on the front lines of using many of these technologies. Uh, their Rolodexes are obviously sensational and, um, and they give us great insight into the technologies. And uh, we, we use their input um, very judiciously you know, every quarter um, as we're assessing um, our index. I mean, we do a ton of research um, every day, every week, every month, every quarter leading up to our rebalances. Uh, to try to stay on top of the companies in terms of, again, where the revenue mix is, uh, where their investment uh, leadership is, where their market share leadership, and where they're investing. We, we do this through a lot of fundamental due diligence of meeting with companies in presentations on one-on-ones in not now more and more, you know, Zoom meetings. Um, but we, we have a very active research component with people that are specialized in uh, financial research. So, um, we hope to then uh, obviously put together all of our insights into a, uh, a, uh, a tax efficient ETF wrapper that uh, captures the benefits of that for investors in what we believe is a very prudent risk adjusted way. And so <laughs> all three of our indices, you know, roughly our, our top uh, uh, 10 positions are less than 20% of the weighting. And uh and so we rebalance quarterly to, to smooth out the ride. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how often do you rebalance and uh, what kind of turnover rate do you do you see? So yeah, the turnover is low. On a name basis, it's extremely low. And in, in Robo, as an example, which is our longest legacy product, um, we've averaged about a name a quarter. 
that we've added. Uh, we've had names that we've obviously removed. Um, we've had a lot of acquisition activity. Just because a company goes out doesn't mean we have to put something in. Again, we want to identify the companies that have the highest you know, revenue uh, purities and that also, again, have market share and technological leadership uh, to help capture that. I mean, there's a lot of other uh exposures are out there and what you typically find are those exposures are very market cap you know weighted um our indices tend to favor a little bit more towards the smaller and mid-size but not super small uh robo the mean market cap is 7 billion uh htech is around uh 12 billion think is a little larger because of some of the larger big cap technologies so it's a little over 20 billion uh, but again, the active share in these strategies are extremely high for investors um, to, uh, to understand. And you know, the last thing I would say that's really important for all of our indices is that um, ESG is a, is, is a filter that we use. Um, we spend a lot of time uh, making sure that all of our companies comply um, uh, with uh, an ESG um, sort of filtering system that, that we've, uh, we've imposed. And we have a third party that also um, helps filter that uh, and for us. And um, certainly the benefits of ESG investing is, is undeniable. Those are companies that are typically better run and they have higher returns on investor capital and they're better at investing. And so having that framework, um, I think is pretty important for us. And for people not familiar with the term ESG, that's, of course, environmental, social, and governance, uh, where the, the, the look is on, thing, you know, on companies that are very aware of those issues and compliant with a lot of those uh, issues that are becoming more and more important to investors. Um, so uh, again, a thing that's really fascinating about everything that you've said here is that there's some very disparate companies in all these different industry groups. You know, you, you mentioned an aerospace defense, computer software, chips, you know, there's, there's just all of these different areas and they all kind of fit under this umbrella. So uh, where can people uh, find more information on, on RoboGlobal and exactly how you kind of go about your process? Yeah, please, uh, you can review our, our, our website. It's uh, uh, roboglobal.com. Um, we have a tremendous amount of content on there um, every, every week that we have for investors to enjoy. You can sign up to get our research or newsletter that comes out, you know, once a week. For those that want uh, to get signed up on anything, uh, they can also just go to info at roboglobal.com and send us an email and we'll be happy to, uh, to service you any way that we can. Great. We really appreciate having you on, Bill yes. Baker. Um, this is just, a, a, again, a fascinating area. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of runway here and uh, can't wait to see what the future looks like a few years down the road, you know, potentially unrecognizable and unimaginable uh, if, if things go the way you expect. Um, next week, we are going to have on a special guest, Kathy Donnelly, co-author of The Lifecycle Trade, a longtime CanSlim follower, uh, went to a number of master's programs, uh, just, you know, now she's become a good friend. So she'll be back on the show to talk about all the latest hot IPOs. So be sure to tune in for that. I'm Justin Nielsen, <laughs> along with my co-host, Ali Corum, uh, and our special guest, Bill Studebaker. Thanks a lot for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And for this week's notes and charts, make sure to go to investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. 
and make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.